victorious, glorious, majestic, powerful. This is our God. There is none like you. From the dawn of time, holy, uncreated one, you reign. And you will reign for all eternity. I thank you. Father, because of the blood of your son, we can experience moments like this. Where we can declare it and know it in part, yet through him one day, for all who have repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior, we will know that declaration in full. And we bless your name. You are our God. We don't want the gods of this world. We don't want these other things, yet we're so prone to wander to them. Lord, help us realign our hearts to you, realign our minds to you right now. That we would humble ourselves under the authority of your word and we would see Jesus, that those lines we just sang, those beautiful truths of all we want is found in you, that would be a truth of our heart, not just from our lips, but the truth of our lives, that all we want is you, all we need is you. Lord, manifest your presence here among us. Remove distractions. Say what you want to say to your people. And for those who earnestly want to seek you today, oh God, show yourself your love, your care, your compassion, your power, your conviction, your faith. Lord, please, by your mercy, not because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy. May it be so. Guard my mouth. Say what you want to say, Father, to your church. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, loved ones. Let's open up to John chapter 5, verses 30 to 40. John chapter 5, verses 30 to 40. Uh, And if you do not have a copy of God's Word, just put your hand up right now. One of our ushers is going to come by, and they want to put a copy of the Bible in your lap so you can continue to follow along verse by verse, line by line, through this beautiful book that we have been studying now and will continue to study, Lord willing, till just before Easter. John chapter 5, verses 30 to 40. It's on page 519 in those Bibles that are being handed out right now. Well, today we have the privilege to continue in our series, Life in the Sun, going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And as you turn to this text today, I have a question for you. Would you agree with me, would you agree with me, loved ones, that we live in a world where anyone can declare anything to be true? There's a cultural push right now to say truth can be whatever you make it. That truth can be relative. That what's true for you can just be kind of true for you. It doesn't mean it's true for me. And instead of having absolute truth, we have this relativistic truth. Okay, so... If it's one thing to declare that something's true, would you also agree with me, though, that it's another thing to have credible witnesses to confirm it or testify to it? Would you agree? Absolutely. That strengthens the credibility of the truth. Why? Because witnesses, 
They add clarity as to what is true. They add credibility to what is true. And ultimately, witnesses help to confirm what is true. And after healing the lame man at Bethesda, a few verses earlier here in John 5, we saw last week that Jesus made some some of the clearest declarations of his deity in declaring that he was equal with God. He made a lot of declarations. The gloves came off. He said things like he can raise the dead and he gives life as God the Father does. He says that he executes the judgment of God, which was given to him by his Father. And he said that his will was in perfect unity with the Father. Those are some pretty hardcore declarations. Now this was absolute blasphemy, if you recall, to the Jewish leaders who he's speaking to here and will continue to do so today. Why? Because if what he just declared is true, then it changes everything they thought they knew. And it means they've got it wrong. And so these leaders at the end of that text last week, verse 29, they are left asking the question, how can we know that these claims that Jesus is making are true? And if you look at our society today, you'll see we are asking the same question. How can we know? It's one thing for Jesus to declare who he is, but how can we know that what he says is true and not this religion over here, or this one over here. How can we actually know? And maybe you're here today and you're asking the question. Maybe you've been raised up in the church and you've just kind of taken it for granted and heard from your parents or, or heard from other people in the church, well, yeah, this is true, this is true, but maybe you're here asking the question, how, do, how can I actually know? Is there a witness to this to confirm it? See, and this is such an important text for us today because we live in a world that has launched an all-out assault to convince us the truth of Jesus isn't true. And it's increasingly attacking the person and work of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the deity, the fact that Jesus is equal with God, the deity of Christ is the foundation for all Christianity. Think about it. Everything in our faith rises and falls on Jesus being equal with God. Everything. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if Jesus is not equal with God, there is no gospel. That's kind of a big one. Which means if there's no gospel, then there's no salvation. And if there's no salvation, it means there's no hope. It's a big deal. And so the truth is this, though. Be encouraged, loved ones. God has given his witnesses that testify to the truth of who Jesus is. And there's seven in the Gospel of John that we will, Lord willing, get to over the course of the next few years. But here we're going to look at three of them. Three of them in this text. Three witnesses that confirm that Jesus is equal with God. And they confront us with the question. When he calls the witnesses forward, we are confronted with the question, will I believe their testimony or reject it? He calls these witnesses to account so we have no excuse. Just like the religious leaders here. Will we confirm it? Will we receive it? Or will we reject it? 
let's stand honor the authority of God's word as we look at these three witnesses in verses 30 to 40. Witnesses to Jesus. I can do nothing on my own. Jesus continues to talk to these religious leaders. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet... You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Hear the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we see three witnesses in this text that testify to Christ's deity. And the first witness that is called forward here, it's a courtroom scene. First witness that gets called forward is this, the people of God. The people of God, gospel proclamation. And the question that we are confronted with from this witness is this. The person in Christ proclaims the truth of Christ. Will you listen to them? Will you listen to them? Look at verse 30 again. Jesus goes on to say, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's get our context. He's speaking to the religious leaders who confronted him earlier and are hostile towards him. And Jesus continues his defense of his equality with God by restating the truth that he stated earlier to them in verses 19 to 20. He states his will and work is in perfect unity with the Father. You say, well, what is that? God, Jesus, I thought it was God's son. How is he like God the Father? Recall from last week, we looked at some great theology. One God, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There you go. Just keeping you nice and, and focused here in the cold. God the Holy Spirit. All right? And so, so they each have Different roles given to them, but they are equally God in every way. They are equally God. God the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Then the Savior came. He paid the penalty and the wrath of God for our sin. That he would reconcile us, bring us to himself, and save us. And then he died and rose again three days later. And when he rose to the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now is given to us to empower us for godly living, to lead us into the clarity of God's word, the truth, and to ultimately glorify Jesus Christ. So when he says here that the Father, he's in perfect unity with him, what he's saying here is this, the works that Christ does are the works of God. They are the works the Father does because the will and purpose of the Father is the will and purpose of Christ. He's doing nothing on his own. It's not like Jesus is some rogue son. All right, right? We have four little boys. I love them. They can get rogue sometimes. 
okay? And they just kind of do their own thing. Jesus is nothing like that. Jesus is perfectly united. The Father's will is his will. And he says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. His will is my will. His works are my works. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus says he executes the judgment of the Father. What's the judgment of the Father? Between who is righteous and who is unrighteous. Ultimately, he executes the judgment of God as who will, to be, who will be raised, as we saw in 29 and, uh, verse 28 and 29 last week, who will be raised to life for those who believe in him and who will be raised to eternal condemnation in hell as penalty for their sin and punishment for their sin. He executes the judgment of the Father, and his judgment is just, as we see in verse 30. The word just there means approved by God. It's not like God the Father's like, well, son, you blew that life. Well, let's go to the next one. No, it is just. It is approved by God because it is the will of God. And the Father gave him authority to do so. This is where he continues. Now watch this. 32 and 33. Love scripture. Let's go. There is another, he says, who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Oh, I missed 31. Forgive me, it's a great verse. If I alone bear witness, Jesus says, about myself, my testimony is not true. See, Jesus tells the religious leaders here, hey, guys, I get that we're in this conversation. You're not taking my word for it. I get it. Okay, I see your hostility. I see your lack of teachability. But there's another who bears witness about me. He's talking about his father. The father bears witness. That means testifies about me, about who I am. And his testimony is true. I love the word true there. The word true there in the Greek means his testimony about me is fully tested. Everything stacks up. When you put all the evidence together, what the Father says about me is 100% true. You will not find something against it. Nothing is hidden. We're not trying to hide anything. Now, the question based off verse 32 is this. He says, there's another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Well, based on that, he's like, why wouldn't, Christ's own testimony be enough? Isn't he God? Why would it not be deemed true? Well, you have to go into the Old Testament law for this. He knows he's talking to religious experts in the Old Testament law who knew that thing inside and out. And according to Old Testament law, which these leaders knew, in Deuteronomy 19.15 and Deuteronomy 17.6, a charge or testimony that someone makes or a charge against someone has to be established by at least two to three witnesses. Okay? So you don't just take the person's word for it. It has to be established by two to three witnesses to confirm the truth of a matter. And Jesus says the way the Father gives witness to him is the first witness right here. These are all witnesses the Father is giving to us about Christ. And the first one he says is John the Baptist. Here's the first one coming. You want two to three? Here you go. Look at verses 33 to 35. Jesus says, You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning, that is John, a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the Baptist. All right, here he is. Look at that classy looking brother. Uh-huh. 
There he is, okay? So here's John the Baptist. Now, here's what we have to understand. John the Baptist's ministry is outlined in John chapter 1, 6 to 7. We went through it last fall. 6 to 7, and then you can uh, see more of his ministry in verses 19 to 34 of John 1. Okay, but here's a summary of this. John was sent, this is important, he was sent by God, verses 6 and 7 say. He was sent by God the Father as a what? Oh, there you go, a witness, it says. He was sent as a witness to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and the people's need for repentance. What's the truth of Jesus Christ? As Messiah, as the Son of God, as the only Savior. Witness number one. Now John... Some facts about him. He lived in the wilderness. He lived in the Judean wilderness. He wasn't a city guy. He lived out in the wilderness beyond the Jordan. And then look at number three. He wore, as you can see there, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. I love who God chooses to be his witnesses. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's amazing. Garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. Oh, here's really cool stuff. He ate locusts and wild honey. Matthew 3, 4 tells us that. Little grasshopper here and there. That's amazing. Love that. John the Baptist. And number five, he was the second cousin of Jesus Christ. He was Elizabeth's son, second cousin of Christ. And here's a great thing. He baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And notice what verse 33 says. He says, you guys, religious leaders, you sent to John. What does that mean? You sent to John. Well, if you go back to John 1.19, we see that these same religious leaders here, remember this from you who were here last year, they sent a delegation out to see John at the Jordan. Because he was proclaiming the truth of the Messiah, he's getting a crowd, so the religious leaders are like, well, we got to figure out who this guy is. So they sent this little delegation out to see and asked who John was. And then in verse 34 here, we see Jesus states that the Father uses John as a witness so the religious leaders would be saved. Wait a second. Why is he sending John for the religious leaders to be saved? Now, the word saved there means so they would be brought from death to life. See, here's the truth. Here's why he sent John. Because they refused to believe Jesus' testimony, which is God's testimony, so he gave them man's testimony about him. He gave them a man's testimony to hear it through them. And, And perhaps these religious leaders who once listened to John will hear this again and be saved. They'll believe. And notice how it describes John. I love this. In verse 35, Jesus says, He was a burning and shining lamp. The picture of the lamp here is this. You'll see it. It's a handheld oil lamp. I love this. Picture of a burning and shining oil lamp. And it means John proclaimed the truth of Christ to those around him with passion. A burning and shining lamp. You've ever been around those people that just like declare God's word with passion? And you hear that in their voice and they're just like, yes, this is rocking. I want to know more. Or maybe you think he's nuts. I don't know. But notice verse 35 here. This seems good so far. You were willing, shining lamp, and you were willing, back half of 35, you, the religious leaders, were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Because you have to remember, when the religious leaders first heard John was proclaiming the Messiah was coming, they were getting excited 
They knew the Old Testament scriptures pointed to a Messiah coming. And so they knew those scriptures. And so they've been waiting literally thousands of years. So all of a sudden, this guy in camel's hair shows up proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. And they get fired up. They're like, yes, we want to listen to you. No more Roman oppression. No more slavery. Our Messiah's coming. He's going to deliver us. Keep talking, John. Keep talking. They're believing the truth. The Messiah is coming. They're like, yes, we're all in. We're willing to listen to this. There's no more oppression. No more slavery for us. Full deliverance. Freedom. Protection. No more sorrow. No more suffering. Come on, John. Keep talking. We're listening. See this? They're all in. But then something tragic happens. Notice the back end of 35. He says, you were willing to listen to him for a while. Well, what happened? Why'd they stop listening? What changed? John's message didn't change. Messiah's coming. The Messiah didn't change. What changed? Here's what changed. We need to tune into this. Their picture of who the Messiah should be changed. Who they wanted the Messiah to be changed. What it meant for them to have a Messiah changed. Their expectations weren't met. They wanted a conquering hero coming in on a white horse to wipe out the Romans. They wanted a noble, brash, powerful king that they could see and be delivered by them. And their Messiah came on a donkey. He came, as scripture says, there was nothing attractive about him. This isn't the Messiah we want. See, Christ showed them. They stopped listening because Christ showed them their hypocrisy. Christ showed them their need for him. Christ showed them their sinful state. Christ showed them their hopelessness without him. And he showed them what it would cost to follow him and to have him as their Messiah. He showed them that. And they didn't like it. It got uncomfortable. And they stopped listening. I wonder how many of us in that room are in that, this room right now are in that place. See, we live in a world with the same attitude as these religious leaders. People are all in, loved ones, for hearing about the Messiah. What? Someone's coming? Some, a Messiah's coming to save me? I want to hear about this Messiah that wants to love me. I want to hear about the Messiah that wants to show me mercy. I want to hear about this Messiah that wants to give me freedom and deliverance over what's hurting me. Oh yeah, I want to hear about this Messiah that's going to meet my needs. I want to hear about this Messiah that's going to give me eternal life. Man, I'm all ears. I'm all about this Messiah that doesn't want me to suffer anymore. I'm willing to rejoice in that. Until it no longer matches up with your expectations. And the comfort of what you and I want.
See, when the true gospel is proclaimed and declares who Jesus truly is and what it means to take up our cross and follow him, not as many people, you ever notice this? Not as many people want to hear that. Parable of the Sower talks about this. Some will spring up. I'm all in for Jesus. The face not genuine, and they will. Because wait a sec, it's not comfortable for me to follow him. There is suffering. What do you mean I'm going to be delivered from suffering? Oh, there's this. There's, oh, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me my family. It's going to cost me my friends. I'm all in until I hear that. When it's not comfortable anymore. We live in a world that does the same thing, even our own hearts. And you notice this? There's lots of people in this world that want to talk about God. You can have a quote-unquote religious discussion about God with a lot of people. But what happens as soon as you mention Jesus as the only way, truth, and life? Now it gets hostile. Now it turns sour. It isn't convenient It's not comfortable for our lives. It isn't easy. It's not popular. And people stop listening. And instead of receiving the testimony of Christ, they reject it to pursue something better for them. Something that fits their comfort and expectations of what they want their Messiah to be. I want to have this God, but I want to have this one too. And and this is why it's it's working for me that I just believe this. It's really good because it's comfortable for me. Here's the truth. person in Christ is going to proclaim the truth of Christ. Will you listen to them? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, hey, 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 eyes up here. Will you hear the true gospel being proclaimed through this very imperfect servant? Will you hear it? Will you listen to it? As a witness testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ who loves you and gave his life for you, fully God and fully man on that cross, to take whatever sin you are engaged in, whatever you've done and whatever you will do upon his back that was ripped open for you and died and rose again, defeating that three days later. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I will keep you. I will sustain you. But it doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. But I will be with you to see you through. If you're here and you've never made that decision, hear the witness of God through his word. And if you have made that decision, let me ask you, believers, if you've made that decision to follow Christ, here's our challenge. Are you living as a burning and shining lamp? Or is your wick snuffed out? Are you living as a burning and shining lamp that is burning in passion and urgency to declare, to proclaim the message of the gospel to your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, the person in the grocery store, whatever it is, whatever opportunity God brings your way, or are we running back in fear? Are we burning And proclaiming the truth of who he is and leading others to Christ as a lamp. I love this. I love that it's a handheld lamp because it leads people out of the darkness to the destination. Are we leading people as burning lamps to Christ? The truth of Jesus Christ in a world that is increasingly dark. If not, Ask him for this. Say, I'm scared of the fear of man. I'm scared. I just don't have the urgency. I just don't want it. Then you don't understand what's at stake. 
say, Lord, help me. And then get in his word. As the living and active word gets in you, we become living and active by the power of the Holy Spirit. As it renews our minds and renews our hearts and points us vertically every single day, get in the word of God. Let it stir it and then ask him in prayer. Ask him in prayer and step out in obedience and he will fan that into flame. When you step in obedience and you share your faith, you're like, wow, praise the Lord, he gave me the words for that. That person may not come to Christ in that moment, but praise the Lord that he gave me the words and then you get fired up and then you take the next step and you take the next step. And God, it's, you know, when I think of our walk with the Lord and I think of how patient he is with us, I can't help but think of like a toddler learning how to walk. Toddler learning how to walk. This is me. We don't like to go down to this place, but this is me. And you're like, I'm scared, I'm trying to take a walk and, and I fall down and I fall down again and I fall down and there's the father waiting at the end of the hallway. He's just like this and I'm falling down. I blew it again, I blew it. And then the father comes along. You know what he, he doesn't do this. He doesn't stand over me and say, man, you blew it again. Get up and take another step. Here's what he says. Here's the little toddler, wobbly knees. Takes one little step, boom. He runs over and he says, you took a step. Yes, get up. Let's do it again. You took a step. Do it. Man, I need that truth in my life. There's my dad not condemning me saying, you took a step. Let's go do it again. I'll give you what you Who has God put around you? Take a step. Who has he put around you? Be that light, burning with passion. Three witnesses that testify to Christ's deity. Number one, the people of God. We are called to be witnesses, to proclaim that. Witness number two, the works of God. So we went from gospel proclamation to now the works of God, gospel demonstration. And the question we're confronted with by verse 36 is this. The works of Christ give witness to Christ. Will I acknowledge them? Will I acknowledge them? Look at verse 36. Jesus says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Here comes a greater witness. Ready? For the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. See, Jesus states that even though John is a powerful witness, a human testimony can be a very powerful witness. Would you agree? Absolutely. But Jesus has a greater witness than human testimony. What is it? His works. His works that he does are the works of God that were given to him to do by the Father. The works just means this, if you circle that. Works just means uh, the deeds of Christ in the lives of people. How Christ is at work in the life of people. Okay? And so... These are being done in the power that only Almighty God himself could display. The power of the gospel. These are things you can't explain away. But they're done in the power of the gospel. Now, now you have to understand, no human effort could do these. But why does Jesus do these works? Well, write this down. Works of God are always meant to point us back to God. We're going to see the feeding of the 5,000, Lord willing, in two weeks. And it's the same thing. Works are meant to point us back to God to show us more of who he is. This is what Christ is stating here. 
And there's seven signs in John, and we've done three of them thus far. But what about his signs and his work in our lives today as well? See, as much as today, look around the culture, as much as our culture tries to explain things away and deny it, it is undeniable when God's power through the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms a life. It is undeniable when he brings one from spiritual death to spiritual life. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's some gospel power for you. Ready? Hearts change. A heart of stone, a heart of unbelief is replaced with a heart of flesh. And then from that, as the center of our being, increasingly our desires change. We start to desire what Christ desires for us in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work In the church, we start to desire Christ's desires for us when that changes. Here again, gospel power from desires. Our motives change. Why we do things. It's no longer I want to get the glory. Increasingly, we want Christ, yet not I, but Christ in me. That's a heart that's been transformed. I'm willing to fade into anonymity so that Christ can take center stage. I'm not the groom. He's taking center stage. Our motives start to change for why we do things. It's not about me pushing myself to get ahead. Our humility, humility starts to replace pride. You before me, God before me, instead of me before both of you. Not my wants, not my desires. You before me, God before me. Teach, here's, a, here's a huge one of a transformed life. Teachability replaces defensiveness increasingly. You're corrected, you're corrected from God's word instead of doing this. Yeah, but, yeah, but, who are you? The heart that's been transformed by Christ increasingly says, thank you, because faithful are the wounds of a friend. No more yeah, but. How about this one? Peace starts to replace fear and anxiety. You know the gospel's at work in the life of someone. When that anxiety that the devil used to push on you and get you a fear of man and get you anxious about failure and what if, what if, what if, all of a sudden you recognize that and you bring it to Christ and you say, yet not I but Christ. He is going to be over this. He is going to be with this. And though I'm still struggling a little bit with this, I'm taking this to him and I'm trusting everything upon him. That's a heart that's been changed. You can't, you, can't, you can't manufacture that by any human craft. That's gospel given and gospel driven. Hope replaces hopelessness. When you see people suffering, I'll never forget one beautiful lady from our church whose wedding or whose funeral I did not long ago. I still remember standing by her bedside. She takes my hand and she says, you, Pastor Ray, you just keep preaching. There's this peace. What, how can you explain that? What drug can give you that? What bottle of alcohol can do that to you? That's the active power of God in the life of that woman. And I remember that to this day because on a human level, it makes no sense. You're about to die and you are at peace and you know your hope is secure. Gratitude replaces entitlement. 
Here's another thing the gospel does increasingly. I don't about you, but I'm getting chiseled on all these things right now. Gratitude replaces entitlement. It's no longer, well, I deserve this. I'm worthy of this. I should get this. I should get this. And then we get bitter and, and frustrated with people who don't meet those expectations. Gratitude says, praise the Lord, I get to serve the king again today. Might not have been how I thought it would look, but praise God, he saw fit to allow me to do this today and not grumble or complain about it. Gratitude. Here's another one. Service replaces the need to be served. You don't walk into church on Sunday being like, I expect people just to serve me. You're like, where's the need? I'm in. There's a big need for Hope Kids on Christmas Eve. You in, loved ones, if you're here? Not some guilt trip, but say, wow. Praise the Lord for the entrustment of 50 plus kids. Service replaces the wanting to be served. That sounds like Mark 10, 42. A lot like Jesus. Joy overcomes brokenness. The power of sin is defeated increasingly by the power of God. And I just hope, Ottawa, if you just, if you just look up here for a sec. I, I tell my wife this so much. I love you so much. By God's grace, I'm crazy about this church and about you and your families and seeing you grow in the likeness of Christ. And one of the greatest privileges I have as your pastor is to come in here on a Sunday morning, and so many of you, I know what you're going through. And we've sat over coffee or across the table and just wept together, or we've, I've heard your struggles and just listened about what's happening in your life. And when I see you coming in here on Sunday morning, hands raised, face lifted toward heaven, you're praising through the pain. And that makes no sense if the gospel's not true. Amen? That makes no sense for you to praise anything if the gospel's not true. No sense on a human level. What reason could you possibly have to praise when your life is falling apart, when that pain is real, when that person is doing that to you over and over? There's no human explanation for that. This is the work of God. This is the demonstration of the gospel, saying, yet not I, but Christ in me. That's a witness a witness of Christ. The works of Christ gives witness to Christ. Will you acknowledge them? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, if someone around you is claiming Jesus Christ and you see there's a difference in their life, I challenge you with this. You see there's a difference in their life. They're like, something's different about them. Something changed. Are you just going to try to explain that away? Like, well, finally, they're growing up. It's about time. They're getting their stuff together. They're being more mature. Or will you acknowledge the witness of God that there's something different about them and say, I can't explain it, but I want to know more. I dare you to ask them. I dare you to ask them. What's the reason for your hope? Ask them. And believers, this is such a challenge for us. Acknowledge, are you acknowledging the works of God in your own life? To say, well, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not like Christ fully yet, but I'm not who I was. 
I've seen, wow, that used to get me anxious. That doesn't get me near as anxious anymore. I used to have that struggle with pornography and the desire for that is getting less and less as Christ continues to increase in me. Are we acknowledging this in our life? But how about this in the life of others? This is one of the most powerful things the body of Christ can do, and I pray would be a culture in this church, is this right here. Making it a priority to acknowledge the work of Christ in the life of another as you see it. Acknowledge it. Tell them, this is what I see Christ in you doing. This is the gospel at work in you. This is why small groups is so good for this. You know, you get together. This is, wow, I see God growing you in this. You're at peace with that circumstance? You're trusting in God's sovereignty now? And this isn't so the person gets a big head and then defeat the whole purpose. This is so you could say, wow, I thank God because I see a witness, a testimony of the gospel through you. And I want him more. I see that. Encourage that, loved ones. It's so life-giving. And we are called to this, by the way. We are called to be devoted to building one another up and not tearing one another down. You say, how do you know this? Hebrews 10, 24, 25. He says, and let us, who's us? The church. Consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together. Why, 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 why? Because if you neglect to meet together, how can you acknowledge the work of Christ in someone else's life and how can someone have the opportunity to do that in you? Don't stop meeting together at small groups. Don't stop coming together at prayer nights. Don't stop coming on Sunday mornings. Don't stop joining your service team. Why? As is the habit of sun, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, capital D day, the day Christ returns approaching do it all the more i mean can you imagine i just i was in tears this week in my study can you imagine loved ones what a culture of gospel acknowledgement would look like no no more competition no more serve me this is what i see christ do Praise God. If we devoted ourselves to a culture of acknowledging the witness of the gospel in each other, what would this do for your marriage? I'll tell you, it would transform it. Instead of ripping on your wife, you build her up in the gospel. Or your husband, you build him up in the gospel. How about your kids? Hey, wow, that was amazing. This is how I see God at work in you. How about your classmates, your roommates, your small groups, and the serving teams in church? You think it's just about the task of, okay, I'm in the nursery. No, you get to do life together and see gospel witness together and encourage one another in that. It's life-giving. May it be so, Lord. Are you in for that? I'm in for that. Because Christ is in for that. Three witnesses that testify to Christ's deity. The people of God, gospel proclamation. The works of God, gospel demonstration. And lastly, the word of God, gospel authentication. Question, all of scripture testifies to Christ. Will I hear it and believe? All of scripture testifies to Christ. 
will I hear it and believe? Let's look at 37 and 38. Jesus goes on to say, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. See, Jesus now states the Father also bears witness to the truth that Jesus is God himself. So witness number one, there's John. Witness number two, the works. Witness number three, the Father through his word. Now, what's the word he's talking about here? At this time, they didn't have the completed New Testament. Context, context. So he's talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus tells the religious leaders in verse 37 that they've never heard the Father's voice. That would be like cutting to them. They've never heard the Father's voice. You've never seen the Father, and you don't have his word abiding in you. The Greek word abide there, I love it, means to dwell in. You don't have his word dwelling in your heart. His word's not established permanently. Why? Because they refuse to believe the one the Father sent. That is Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah, and he is who Scripture says he is. The word believe there is not just this. Yeah, well, I believe a guy named Jesus existed once. I believe he was a historical figure. Yeah, maybe he was a good teacher, maybe a good dude. No. The word believe there means you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is equal with God, that he did do what he says he do to bring us life off that cross and raising again three days later. He says, and when you believe, it brings faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Eternal faith. And that he is the Messiah and the one, here's the beautiful thing, and the one that every part of Scripture points to. Every part of Scripture points to Christ. Look at 39 and 40. Hammers this home. You search the Scriptures, Jesus says to the leaders. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Here's what Jesus says. You guys spend so much time diligently and scrupulously studying and searching the scriptures, trying to know them, trying to obey them in your own strength, yet with all of your study, hours upon hours upon hours, you're missing the whole point of them. Ouch. Ouch. You are missing the whole point because every, get this loved ones, we need to understand this. Every part of every passage of every book bears witness or points to Christ. I'm going to say it again. Every part of every passage of every book points and bears witness to Christ. Every part of it authenticates the gospel. Jesus is saying, I'm the central message of God's word. It all points to me. And even though you've memorized all the verses, even though you've studied every text, you're still spiritually dead. Because you refuse to come to me. He says, you refuse to acknowledge me that you may have eternal life. Stunning statement. And see what Jesus says here? He's saying, you refuse to see that I am the word in Genesis that created the heavens and the earth. You refuse to see that in Exodus, 
I am the Passover lamb whose blood saved you in Egypt. You refuse to see that in Leviticus, I am the temple where you met with God. You refuse to see that in numbers, I am the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led you all the way. You refuse to see that in Deuteronomy, I am the prophet that's greater than Moses. You refuse to see that in Joshua, I am the greater Joshua that is the conqueror and brings you to the promised land. You refuse to see that in Judges, I am the perfect judge that rescues you. You refuse to see that in Ruth, I am your kinsman redeemer. You refuse to see that in 1st and 2nd Samuel, I am the perfect shepherd king, the one who ran at your enemy and slayed him. You are not David, I am, because you were hiding in the tent with the rest of the Israelites. I'm the greater David who slayed your giant. And that's just a snapshot. You can go through every single book. All of it points to him. Jesus, you'll see it on the screen, is the central message of God's word. It all points to him. And in a moment of pastoral vulnerability, I will say this. One of my greatest concerns for us as a church is that we will be a church that diligently studies the scripture and yet refuses to come to Christ through it. We can know the verses, we know our doctrine, we know all this, and yet we miss the gospel in every part. If you don't get to Jesus, you do not get to life. You refuse to come to me. How can we apply the gospel to our lives if we don't get to Jesus in every part? All of God's word authenticates him. First and second kings, where's Jesus? I am the perfect king who establishes my kingdom. Like, he's everywhere. And this is just a snapshot. If we don't get to Christ, we don't get to life. All of scripture testifies to Christ. Will you hear it and believe? Through his people, as they proclaim it, through his works, as they demonstrate it, and through his word, as it authenticates it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ,
I thank you that what you say is true. You are equal with God, and every word of this book points to it. You are the theme of all of Scripture. You are the one that it leads to, every part. And God, I pray right now, you would use these three witnesses to testify and give clarity in our own hearts that yes, Jesus, you are equal with God. Yes, there is no other way to salvation. Yes, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Yes, I have been refusing you and therefore refusing to come to life in you. God, for those who've never declared Christ as their Savior, I pray right now they'd say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, here I am. I don't know everything about you, but I know enough to know that I need you. I choose to believe. I repent of my sin. I choose to believe. And for those who, who have made that decision, that we would not just be diligent studiers of the Scriptures, but we would get to the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you to apply this in our lives. We need you, Holy Spirit, to give us clarity on how it all points to Christ. Oh, Lord, that we would have life. We would be a church that acknowledges and bears witness of the gospel in and through our lives. Oh, that we would be a church that proclaims as the people of God, the witness of God, the truth of God, and we would be a church of the word of God as the gospel is beautifully authenticated through every page. Oh, Lord, we can't do this. We need your help. Please help us that when we sing this last song, this I believe, these would not just be words on a page, on a screen, words that we know from studying the song this would be a declaration of our heart. Father everlasting, the all-created one, Jesus Christ descended into darkness and rose in glorious light and is forever seated high. This we believe. In Jesus' name.